What I woke up with this morning was this sense that Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 18, is, is really close to God's heart. At least it feels to me like it's close to God's heart right now. Matthew 6, Jesus starts out this themed teaching that says, hey, listen, what I need for you disciples who follow me is I need your heart. That's what I'm after is your heart. He's just finished describing the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees in Matthew 5.20 as being empty. The way that was normal, the way that everyone was doing it in his generation, if you looked around, what was held up as normal by the experts and by the structures and the systems of the day, he said, is actually not enough. And some of us have heard Jesus and saying, oh, wow, in the Old Testament, the law was this low, but he raised the law even higher because we're still reading his gospels as though they're law and they're not. What he's describing is that law as an exterior restriction that restrains us temporarily until the Christ comes and restores our inside nature back to fellowship with God, law was given as a temporary measure because we didn't have an interior moral compass that was working correctly. But he came to restore us face to fa- back to face-to-face relationship with God the Father so we get our hearts plugged back into the source of life and love and that he would change us into the kind of people he's describing in his kingdom teachings. All of Jesus' kingdom teachings are not old covenant teachings. Yes, they were spoken to people who had not yet been entered into the new covenant, but his description of the kingdom of God is the description of what the Holy Spirit would come to create in us at Pentecost. I realize not everyone in the room is going to probably agree with what I just said, but I fully agree with what I just said. Jesus' teachings about the kingdom are descriptions of what he came to create in us. The lifestyle, the values, the heart, the attitudes freely flowed from him and they will freely flow from us when we've become the kind of people he's going to empower us to become. Because he's not telling us, here's a list of things, get busy trying to do them. He's telling us, come be rooted in me, and this is the kind of person I will make you. And that's a lot. So the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. I talked about this Wednesday, but Stanley told me I'm supposed to feel permission in my heart to repeat myself an awful lot. It's kind of hard for me to do. I've noticed that. I don't like to say the same thing more than once. But that's silly, isn't it? Because you can't apply what you don't remember, and you can't remember what's not repeated. And it's not about entertainment, is it? It's like if you come to church to be entertained by Jacob singing and my preaching, well, first of all, that would put a lot of pressure on us, wouldn't it? And we wouldn't like that. But secondly, that's not the point, is it? It'd be weird, wouldn't it, if you gave your coach a grade after his uh, halftime pep talk in the locker room? Wouldn't it be weird if you were more worried about how the coach did in the locker room with his pep talk than how you did on the field and the score of the game? That'd be real weird, but that's what we do oftentimes as, as, as Christians. We actually set up our little church services to be about uh, creating systems that make us feel good that we attended a service that was full of the Holy Ghost. And that doesn't even matter. It doesn't matter if we like how church went. It matters whether we're walking with God every single day. How are we doing? What fruit are we bearing? Are we, do we know him? Matthew 6, I'm going to read something to you. Beware of practicing your piety in front of others in order to be seen by them. 
Does that mean we're not allowed to pray in front of people? But he said, beware of practicing your piety in front of others, didn't he? Oh, there's a second half of that verse. In order to be seen by them. Beware of practicing your piety in front of other people in order to be seen a certain way. Beware of the lure, the deadly lure that kills, that cuts the root of your spirituality that says, I need people's approval. And you go, well, how do I avoid that, Jesus? And he goes, I'm going to tell you exactly how to avoid that. If when you pray or give or fast or whatever you do, sing, if, if when you do it, your, in, your motivation, your intention, the thing you're after is the praise of people, the adoration of people. By the way, same with posting online or going out in public, working hard, having money, having the right car, house, children having the right college education and career, all these things that we care what people think. Many of us claim not to care, but claiming not to care might be our culture's version, our little group's version of caring. You're not cool if you care, so you pretend not to care. Yeah? Like being a hardcore punk? Right? Punk rock. We don't care. Well, then we'll, like, isn't that the new version of the standard of the tribe that you have to measure up to to be considered cool and get the approval of the group? I don't care about the approval of the group. Oh, man, that guy's so cool. He says, beware... Because if that's your goal, you might get that, but that's all you'll get. If your goal is to be thought of as spiritual, you might pray a really fantastic, theologically correct prayer. And they might say, wow, let's invite him back. He'll do a, let's have him do a whole weekend conference. That was amazing. But if that was your goal and that was your reward, that's all you're, you're going to get. Because God goes where he's wanted And your heart gets what it truly seeks. My heart gets what it's truly seeking. You know, a lot of the time we think what we're praying is, God, your will be done. But what we're really praying is, God, may my will be done in your name. And so as long as our life goes the way we want, we trust God and we praise God. And when we don't get what we want and it's hard, we accuse God of doing something wrong to us. It's amazing the fruit we bear when we die to selfishness. We'll be able to stand up to any force if the testimony of Jesus is on our lips and in our heart and we love not our own lives unto death. If I'm still seeking my safety, comfort, assurance, all those good things for me, 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 we cut the root of faith's ability to really furnish us with power. Or as I've said so many times, I can't even love you if I need your approval. Because I'm now bound, I'm now going to redefine what love is by what you like. There's a whole generation right now redefining what love is by what makes people, quote, feel loved. Instead of what love really is, which is that seeking that which is best for the person. Are you with me? Okay. 
He says, don't, when you do your acts of piety, don't do them in order to be seen because then you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. And you go, well, wait a minute here. Is Jesus telling me I should be seeking a reward from my Father in heaven? You're darn right he is. He wants you happy. And if you don't think so, you're wrong. And you go, what in the world? Happy is just weak. That's just pleasure. We're called to joy. Bro, the word blessed in your Bible, makarios, it just means happy. Blessed is the man who doesn't run after all these things that the world's running after, but instead his delight, what does that mean? To delight in something. It means to take pleasure in. It means what makes my soul happy is receiving the truth God declares over me. That's what makes my soul happy, says Psalm 1. Happy is the man whose daily meditation, day and night, what, he's, what, he's, what she, what he is thinking about is what God said, what God said, what God said, what God said. Treasuring, what does that mean? Taking delight in what God's saying. And then what's he do? What, what, are the, what is the person who does that doing? John chapter four, Jesus is fasting and his disciples go to get him food and then he has this interaction with a woman who's been like divorced how many times? And the, and the man she's with now is not her husband. And when they come back, Jesus has given this woman an encounter with the Father, and they go, what are you doing? First of all, talking to this Samaritan, secondly, this Samaritan woman, and what, what, like, aren't you, how are you not passed out on the ground from exhaustion and hunger? And he says, I have food to eat you don't even know about. I have food to eat. What does that mean? I have nourishment. There's nourishment coming to me from what? I'm doing what the Spirit is doing in this moment. Not only am I the kind of, I'm not just the Psalm 1 person who meditates on what God had said. I'm meditating, I'm feasting on what God is saying and doing. And when I do his will, when I partner with that spirit that comes from the Father, energies from the invisible realm that fills everything, partner with me and I'm no longer, I'm not acting alone. Another hand is moving in and through me. There's energy from God's kingdom realm that's here, remember? Where is heaven, our God, who Father who dwells in heaven? Hallowed be thy name. Where is heaven? It's the spirit realm where God dwells. He's present. He fills all things. He's present. He's near. And, and, and from that realm, as I seek him, as I know him, as I take delight in, in him and in what he's saying, I then, I then sensitize, not just to what he said, it's what he said that sensitizes me to what he's saying. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's the book of Hebrews describing Jesus. He's not changing with the times. He's not a fad. He's not updated annually. He's not, there's not a new revised version of his Bible, even though this is the new revised version. <laughs> He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And by meditating on what he said, I then know who he is, and now I'm presently feasting on who he is for me, for you even. Now it's not just for me. It's when I see who he is for me, I'm beginning to see who he is for you. And in that moment... He sees God's purpose for the Samaritan woman and he steps forward and as he does so, his spirit finds food. 
I called Stan on the phone the other day. What was it, Friday? I said, Stan, I got to run something past you here. I'm reading this dude, and he says that when we fast, that what Jesus said in John 4 means the, the well, I should read this to you. Where, in, my, in this passage that I started reading to you, Jesus says, and when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your Father who sees in secret, and he'll reward you. With what? Himself. And what's the reward going to be? Himself. His very self, his very nature will be poured into us. We'll know him. We'll know him, guys. The greatest treasure he can give is nothing he made. It's his very heart. It's his very self. He'll pour himself into us. We'll be transformed into his nature. We'll know him. We'll come alive. We'll have what we call eternal life. And we wrongly think it's something that happens later after we die. No, it's God's own life that he's sharing with us. He's pouring a ladle of his own spirit into our spirit and we come alive. And then he says, and when you fast, don't, don't do what the hypocrites do. They want to be seen as, oh, look how I'm sacrificing for God. I haven't eaten since Tuesday. I'm miserable. I have a splitting headache and I, and I didn't do my makeup. And my eyes are all baggy and dark shadows under them. I didn't even shave my head. Or if I had hair, I didn't do my hair. You know, I might unbutton a couple of buttons. You know, pull half the shirt untucked and just kind of oh, fasting for Jesus. It's really hard being so godly. And he's like, are you? And we're laughing, but he's like, they literally did that. They would show off how they were making themselves miserable. They wanted you to see that they were sacrificing. It's not like we would ever do that, post online about how we're suffering and all the hard things. We are brave in the middle. We would never do that. But they did it. That was a little joke. We would never boast in our, our good deeds. We wouldn't do such a thing. But they did. That's a joke. We sometimes are tempted to, aren't we? Yes. Even holding the right opinion nowadays is, the, is a version of this. I hold the right opinion, so I'm righteous. I disagree with what that person did. There's, we should have no grace for him because he's a sinner. See, I'm righteous. That's our version of looking righteous to our peers, advertising that we stand for the good things. Oh, I don't care who knows it. I believe in the family. He says, instead, when we fast, we shouldn't look miserable. We should, we should be fasting in secret, so to speak. Now, what does he mean? You should never let anyone know you're fasting? Would it be wrong for me to say, hey, church, let's fast on Wednesday? Would it be wrong for me to give you a mic and ask you to pray in public? No, we've already said he's not, he's not giving us a new, new old covenant. He's not giving us a list of rules to follow. He's describing the heart, the heart that truly walks in power. Right? So that when you sin against me, I don't have to pretend to be nice. I'm, I can actually get to the place where I'm not offended and hurt, where you haven't damaged me greatly. Are you hearing what I'm saying? We can get to the place that if my stuff burns down, if my guitar falls off my strap and breaks, like, like the one guy at Vacation Bible School, oh man, it was like a handmade, handcrafted guitar. He's long in heaven, the dude I'm thinking of. He had this handcrafted guitar, like thousands, I don't know how many, $6,000 guitar, crazy guitar, and he's playing it, and the strap wasn't on correctly, and the whole thing just fell right off onto the ground on this wooden stage and shattered. And he took one look, and then he said... It's all going to burn. 
And wh- why, did he, why was he able to relax like that? That guitar wasn't his treasure. And what Jesus is wanting us to do is like, look, if your treasure is here on earth in the form of people approve of me, if your treasure is people think of me a certain way, you might get it and you'll lose everything to it. You won't find life in it. God's not in it. God's not in it. But if your goal is God, then when you pray, you go in secret. You shut the door. You pray to your Father in secret. And I would say out loud, but you don't have to. That just helps me to know I've actually prayed and to know what I've prayed. For real. It helps me know what, that I've actually prayed. Because sometimes my faith is so small, I need to know that I'm actually praying and I'm not just sitting here thinking. But you do you. And then, So when you fast, he says, don't make yourself look miserable. Don't be fasting for others to think of you a certain way. Go after God. Don't feast on food so that you can more fully feast on God. It's not fasting unless it's prayer and fasting. It's not fasting unless there's a word, unless there's a truth, unless there's a reality in this gospel you're feasting on. Just doing without to cause yourself suffering or doing without to lose weight. That, that's, those, those are medical fasts. Those are not spiritual fasts. Spiritual fast is I'm going after you, God. I'm going after you. I'm going after you. And it's not, and media fasts are not fasts, by the way. Like that's not, that's just abstaining. That's a different spiritual discipline called abstinence. There's disciplines of abstinence. Fasting is I'm just drinking water. I'm not taking in calories. And this guy I was reading, he said, when we fast with the right motive, not only will we not have to pretend that we're not miserable, because the Pharisees were probably miserable. If all I'm doing is going without food, so others will like, think I'm real spiritual, we're probably going to be miserable. But this guy says, if we fast like Jesus did, I'm, I'm fasting from food so that I can feast on God's presence and word and partner with his will. He said, what we're going to find is, just like the Israelites in the Old Testament, their sandals didn't wear out. Their clothes didn't wear out. Water came out of the rock, and they had supernatural manna from heaven that fed them. He said, what we're going to find if we fast correctly is we're not miserable. Because the spirit realm that provided energy for Jesus and instruction and power from on high to do God's will, we're going to experience the same thing. He's saying the same thing about prayer, isn't he? That when we seek God, when we pray with the intention of getting God, power from that invisible realm where God says we have communion with him in our spirit, fuels us, feeds us, and we're feasting on Jesus. Jesus said, whoever is thirsty... Let him come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, so here's how I know belief is not just mentally agreeing with something. Whoever believes in me from their innermost being, this is John chapter 7, will flow rivers of living water. And they'll become a spring in them. So those are the three things he says in, in Matthew 6, 1 through 18. When you pray, when you fast, so I didn't even do the third, when you give, when you give alms, when you give offerings, when you give to the poor, 
We go, what? Did they really do this? He says, don't sound a big alarm. Don't, don't ring a bell. Don't blow a trumpet to signify, look, I gave. And we're going, did they really do that? Yes, they really did that. That's interesting, isn't it? And I understand why we would do that. It would motivate people to give more, wouldn't it? Don't we motivate people to give by giving a gold plaque on the side of the building for who donated? That's, why do we do that, guys? Because people give more when we do that. Why do they give more when we do that? Because people want credit. People want respect. People care about their reputation. They care about how people see them. It's so interesting. I remember being at a Christian college and people, they were all, we were all coming down in our various robes with our different tassels for how smart we were and how many degrees we had and how many years tenure we had and how many books we'd written. And we sat by certain rank and order by who we were in our, in our hierarchy of merit. And I sat there with this weird look on my face because it just seemed so not the kingdom of God. In the king, I was like, in the, dude, in the kingdom, Jesus says the greatest among you is hidden. Doesn't care. All, all the greatest among you cares about is God's reputation, not their own reputation. All the greatest among you wants is not to be in charge and be obeyed and have my will done, but rather the greatest in the kingdom takes the posture of I just want God's will done and I want the person in front of me to come into God's will. What's funny is if being in charge is my God, then you liking me and trusting me has to happen for me to keep you following me. I don't know if you caught that. I need to be popular if I'm going to be powerful. And if me being in charge and being somebody is my mission, then I have to be popular to accomplish it. It's so, the crowds swarm around Jesus. And do you know what he does when the crowds swarm around him? He intentionally preaches a weird, offensive sermon. You have to eat my flesh and drink my blood or you have no life in you. And they go, I'm out. I'm not going that far. And then the disciples are like standing there going, I really want to go, but where would we go? Hey, you guys going to leave me too? And Peter says what? Lord, you alone have the words of life. You're the only one I've ever met that when you talk, my soul comes online, my spirit wakes up, and my body even says, yes, indeed, let's go. And we walk. You're the only one. I don't know where else we'd go, but this is a weird saying, dude. I don't know how to receive it. And he doesn't over-explain Jesus doesn't over-explain. So here's what's big on my heart. Your secret life with God, your secret life with God determines whether you have any real faith in God at all, period. Your secret life with God is the place where your genuineness, your, your heart, which is what he's after more than anything else, is protected from the alien influences of all sorts of idols. Nothing wrong with coming to a public worship service. But if church is your weekly time to meet with God, friend, you're starving your soul. And the heart abhors a vacuum. You're going to be drinking something for your thirsty soul. And if God isn't it, if God's kingdom isn't it, then whatever your treasure is, that's where your heart will be and that will determine your life, my life. And the eternal life that Jesus saved us for 
is for every day. He's really wanting us to walk in an eternal lifestyle. Eternal life starts when? It's right here, right now. You know, the, remember the ancient Egyptians built these, what did they build? Pyramids. How old them pyramids, you think? Did you know that the ancient Egyptians, <laughs> I love it, Pete's answer, ancient. <laughs> Could you give any more detail? <laughs> Carrie told me that the ancient Egyptians, they had archaeologists. Because at the time of what we know as the pharaohs, they had run down ancient structures that they were like, wow, because it's the oldest civilization that we know about. I forget how many thousands of years old. And what is the point of the pyramids? Do you guys remember? What is it, Tom? Who's, who is inside of it? The pharaohs. Why were they in there? It's the tombs of the pharaohs. Now, how did they bury the pharaohs? Who's dropping stuff over here? Is it, what is going on? I hear thump, 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 thump. Oh, so it's cat is like the... Which is my anti-flat earth argument. If the earth was flat, the cats would have knocked everything off the edge already. Um, so how did they bury the pharaohs, you guys? Yeah. Why did they put all the gold in there with the pharaohs? Because they needed their what? Their treasure where? Where were they trying to take their treasure? They were trying to take their treasure to heaven, weren't they? Now, why did they mummify them instead of just let them rot? Somehow, somehow, I don't know how they got the idea that their bodies were a temple. And I don't know how they got the idea that they were trying to store up treasure in heaven. It's like, you ever, <laughs> you ever got something kind of right but not right? They got some things kind of right. And one of the things they got way right is they knew that your life after this life was very, very, very long and that your life in this life was very, very, very short. How'd they know that, dude? They actually got that right. Did you know we're allowed to say when people who are not Christians get things right and that's not some sort of threat to our faith? Did you know that? One time God told me to read a book by this lady and she was clearly, clearly not a Christian. And I don't need to explain to you why, but she was clearly not. And I was like, Lord, I'm uncomfortable with this. And he said, plunder the Egyptians. And I said, I don't know what that means, but I'm just letting you know I'm uncomfortable with this. That's all. He, didn't, he, didn't, he doesn't seem to feel the need to repeat himself with me. I sat with that for a while. Plunder the Egyptians. Do you know what he's referencing? When the Israelites were rescued out of slavery in Egypt, they were so ready for them to go after all those plagues. They were like, get out of here. So Moses says to the people, just go to your neighbors and say, 
hey, can we have some gold, please? And they were like, whatever, sure, just leave. And they gave them earrings and all sorts of, they loaded the Israelites down with gold. And so they plundered the Egyptians, it says. They didn't actually steal from them. They just said, hey, can I please have some? But they were so ready to be rid of them. Whatever you want, just go. Here's my point. God wants us to have treasure in heaven. And Jesus knows for a fact that our life after this life is way longer than our life in this life. But what he understands is that who we become, who we're becoming in this life impacts what we experience for eternity. What a wild concept. And so he says, I want, you to, I want you to put your treasure in heaven, and here's three really simple ways. Seek God every day with no one to see you. So he becomes your treasure. If your motive is God, if he's what you treasure, you'll get him, and you'll take on a life that cannot die, and he'll cre- you'll become a new person. Here's another thing I need you to do. When you fast, I need you to seek me in the fasting. I need you to go. I need you to be. I want your heart. Kingdom of God is a place where righteousness, peace, and joy. You hearing it? Kingdom's not a bunch of talk. It's power. See, the people who came up to Jesus, they had a lot of answers from their Bibles. But when you scratch them, when you bump into them, what comes out of them? Hatred, insecurity, pride. They are willing They're willing to pay people to betray Jesus. He's laying his life down for his enemies. What's inside of him? Love. What's inside of them? How does he describe them? Matthew chapter 23. The people who memorized their Bibles. The people who had the first five books of the the Bible, the Pentateuch, memorized. And he describes them as whitewashed tombs. That's scary, dude. That means you could come to church every single week, come to prayer meeting, be in leadership in the church and miss the kingdom and be just as hardened and fearful and empty on the inside as the person who never prayed a prayer or went to any services. And Jesus is like, that's not, we don't want that. We want heart relationship. We want you filled with the Father's love. We want you to be constantly encountering the, the, the presence of the Father, treasuring what he's saying, partnering with him in life so that every day you're walking in an eternal lifestyle. Are you feeling what's on my heart today? Yeah. I like to say little simple things like, we'll never look like Jesus until we learn to see like Jesus. Because Jesus isn't trying to love people. He loves people. He never calls us to act like him. He calls us to see like him so that we can become as he is. And you go, yeah, but I'm not there yet. Awesome, I'm so glad you know that. Neither am I, but I'm not where I was. And who's going to get me there? Me? No. Fashion me. I show up in secret every day, and I out loud read my Bible, and I pray my prayers out loud, and I've, I still sometimes journal, but I don't journal like I used to journal. I don't journal my feelings. It's a big fat zero, because if I'm going to find the real me, it's not going to be by looking in here, because the real me is hid with Christ in God, Colossians 3. I'm going to lose my life in this life, and I'm going to seek him. I'm going to seek him. And when you give, he says, don't, you know, when you give, give, in, give to the Father. Yeah, 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 you're giving to the person, but you're giving to the Father. 
It's really freeing, isn't it? Because if you give to the church, then there's going to be strings attached. And if the church doesn't do what you want with the money, you'll be mad. But if you give to the Father, you've already, you've, it's the, the, the point of your transaction is already occurring. You're investing more in, in Him, in His heart, in His... And helping people is, is treasuring heaven. Any act where we're intentionally loving God and loving people for Jesus' sake is increasing your treasure in the realm of the heavens. Because I think we have too isolated money with treasure in heaven, and, and it's actually way more than just the money. It's time, it's heart, it's being inconvenienced and choosing to look at the person in front of you and say, you're worth my time. For Jesus' sake, you're worth my time. Because I can see past how you're acting to who he created you to be. And he didn't give up on me. So even if you're not ready to change today, I'm still going to give you some time. I didn't even get to John 8, so I'm going to tell it from memory. Are you guys hot in here? Is it me? Am I I'm hot. Thanks, Tom. That's a high compliment coming from you, Tom. Oh, you mean temperature. Again, this ain't the end-all, be-all of your walk with God. Your daily time with God is your end-all, be-all. I want you guys to get to the place where you are the revival. To where you show up at church and Jacob's like voice might be shot because you know how sometimes it gets. Have you seen my boy Jacob, how he gives himself to the Lord? He's like... Yeah. I was like, dude, you picked all songs where you're like, ah. you're not going to have a voice. Let's say Jacob gets up there. He's got no voice. And he, br- he breaks his strings in the first song. And the guitar goes out of tune. And it sounds like just a disaster. And if you've got people in this house who've been cultivating a walk with God all week long, they didn't come here to be entertained with good music. They came here to give... This is what Jacob and I were just talking about right before service. So much of what we do as Christians is made to avoid an encounter with God. And here's what I mean. We carefully protect things being said and done in a respectable way. But real God encounters are messy, aren't they? Because he meets us at our point of authenticity. And so if we shut down the real and make sure the service is pretty and nice and perfect so that everyone goes, that was a beautiful service today, then what we're doing seems like it's for God, but it's probably more for us. And we go home and we go, that was a fantastic sermon, that was a fantastic whatever, or that was a low today, what was going on today, somebody wasn't prayed up today. And the real question is, what did we bring Jesus today? What was your take on it, Lord? Were our hearts for you today? Were we leaning in? I remember Brad Jersak saying he really struggled with the preacher he had. <laughs> I think he was like, I'm smarter than that guy, and I'm a better preacher than that guy. <laughs> and this is what the Lord said to him. He said, I put a word in that man's mouth every week for you. It's your job to find it. So he had to switch his whole approach. And my wife says this of me, how come you only see what's messy in the house instead of what I cleaned? Anyone else? Raise a hand if that's you too. Great. Now all of us repent. Um, <laughs> Why do I got to tell on myself in church? So Brad, that was Brad's attitude. It's my job to find that word God put in his mouth for me. And like, what if you came to church going, I've been walking with Jesus all week. 
Lord, I'm here. I'm here to look for opportunities to give you joy and say my yeses to you. Pour my whole... Think about that. Love the Lord your God with all your... Prayer team, get up here. Jesus said, if you hang out with me and you listen to my words, this is John 8, 31 in my own words. If you listen to me and you hang out with me and you just stay in my presence and treasure what I'm saying to you, then you'll be truly my learners. And at some point along that journey, the things I'm saying to you will become your inner reality. You won't just say I'm forgiven. You'll know it. You won't just say I'm loved. You'll know it. You won't just say my father can do all things. You'll know it. You won't just say he's my provider. You'll know it. And in that moment, when you know it and live by it, the truth has set you free. And, stop, and then you're not trying to not worry. You're actually just not worried. 